Come on in, Lamar. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Thank you for staying a little bit late this afternoon. Here's that proposal I promised you. Well, thanks, but uh, you could have waited till the morning. I, I wasn't in that much of a rush. Well, I know, but uh, actually, I, I had an ulterior motive. I have a sort of an announcement uh, I wanted to make. Uh, Bill, I, I finally did it. You did did what? Well, I made the decision that I've been strangely moving toward and then sometimes away from for months now, maybe even years. You know, the decision to accept the gift that we've had so many conversations about. Wow, that is wonderful. I'm just, I'm just delighted to hear it. What, what, what made you decide to do it? I mean, I felt like you were kind of standing at the water's edge for a long time. What made you finally decide to jump in? Well, a, a large factor has been the opportunity to have these honest discussions about my questions and doubts. It seems that one by one, my objections have just melted away. But it was interesting to me that even when I knew my biggest questions had been resolved with reasonable answers and, and plenty of evidence, I still found myself resisting. What, uh, what do you think the resistance was about? A relationship with God is something I have felt that I've wanted deep down, you know, for a very long time. If I could just find honest answers for, for my many questions. But strange as it is, I came to realize that there was something besides my intellect that had been keeping me from, from really seeking God. Even though on one level it has been a comfort to me to become convinced intellectually that there is a God and to come to terms with some of the huge questions that belief in, in God answers, like uh, you know the questions we've been talking about. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How should we live in the meantime? What's our purpose? You know, and so on. I found myself suddenly uncomfortable about God, hmm. about being accountable to him for my actions. I think I see what you're getting at. When you transition from not being sure that there is a God to being pretty sure there is, to seeing him as a personal God who desired a personal relationship, you maybe sensed a threat to your independence? Yeah. I hadn't hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I, I think that's exactly what was bothering me. It's odd, but it kind of reminds me of when I was dating Jan, in a way. The more I got to know her in those early weeks and months, the more I wanted to know her and be with her. But I remember realizing at one point that, boy, this is getting pretty serious, <laughs> and that I was going to have to make a commitment to her and and that I'd have to give up some of the freedom that I had valued so highly if the relationship was really going to continue much further. That's, that's some scary stuff. Well, it was for me. I came to realize that this journey I've been on was more than just an intellectual journey. If there really is a God, as I had come to believe, you know, a personal God, then he must want some personal response from me not just some ritualistic and distant intellectual acknowledgement of his existence. And that was uncomfortable for me for a while. I also realized I had taken some pride in my skepticism and, and that to move forward with God would mean giving up that pride. Huh. I not only was proud of my skepticism, I had pride about my successes in life and that I had led what I had always considered to be a good moral life. 
That is until we had those discussions about what the real standard of goodness is. Yeah, the uh, the standard that none of us even comes close to. Yes, and I got to tell you, your honesty about your own failure to measure up really helped me get off my high horse. But what was it that really got you unstuck and, and ready to make the decision? Well, I think the final push came when I finished reading the fourth New Testament book, uh, John, I think. Yeah, that's it. It struck me not as a myth, but as real. It was gritty, true to life, not only as history, but full of insight for living life, even Mm. today. The strongest part for me was the realization that regardless of what anyone else thinks, I could not escape the conclusion that this Jesus person really lived, that he really taught those profound lessons, that he really did claim to be God, that he died as a sacrifice for the rest of us, and that remarkably, he came back from the dead just like he said he would, right on schedule. Hmm. Like you suggested, I would pray before reading. I would say, God, if this is your book, and if this Jesus is actually you in human form, let me know it. If not, help me see through it. What was your conclusion, sudden and dramatic, or, or was it something less spectacular? Well, um, I didn't have some big emotional experience, if that's what you mean by the word dramatic. But when I realized that I did believe it all to be true, I was struck by the fact that the ball was really in my court. I had to respond personally. I saw that I now really knew too much to be neutral. I had no place to hide. I could never go back to my old position and that I had to come to him on his terms, not on mine. You know, I've told you before that I'm not much at praying, but last night, after reading the last chapter of John, it just came naturally. Mm. Well, that's neat. It seemed to me, well, after all we've discussed, it seems simple. I just told God that I realized that I didn't measure up to his standards, that I understood and believed that Jesus really paid the penalty for me when he died. I accepted his forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Boy, all that and and you felt nothing? Oh, no, I didn't say I felt nothing. (laughs) I just said it wasn't dramatic, No, no flash of lightning, no audible voice. What I did feel was a great relief, like a load uh, had been lifted from me, a sense of peace, I felt clean, forgiven, loved. Mm. Boy, what a fantastic experience. Well, maybe that's because you you finally met your maker. Wow, I've heard that term, but I never really thought of it (laughs) that way in this connection. I feel like I have met my maker, yeah. And I'm not even at the pearly gates yet. Uh, Speaking of the pearly gates tomorrow, I just have to ask that question again. The, uh, The one we talked about before, if you were at, standing at those gates, and and God asked why he should let you in, what would you tell him now? Well, you know, Bill, when you asked me that question before, it was really tough, but it's not anymore. If I'm asked that question now, I'll just tell him, you came here and died for me, and remember that night in my living room after everyone else had gone to bed? Well, I accepted Jesus Christ as God, as the Savior of the world, Uh, No, let me stop there. More than that, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Lamar, I have to tell you, this is is the best news I've heard in a long time 
a very long time. Uh, I don't know what to say uh, except, well, thanks for telling me. Thanks for telling you? Bill, I could hardly wait to get down here. Man, this is a uh, this is a great experience. Um, are, you, are you ready for another interesting question? Well, I've been asking most of the questions, so if you want to ask one, go ahead. All right, here it is. If if you get hit by a car as you leave this building this afternoon, how sure are you that, that you'd be in heaven? Well, I, I hope I'm not making it too simple, but, Bill, I'm very sure. That mm. was the promise, wasn't it? That was it. Eternal life, no strings, just accept the gift. Well, I accepted the gift. Bullseye. I just wanted to be sure that, that you were sure. Well, actually, now that I'm sure about heaven, I see life in an entirely new light. Remember when you asked me about what it would be like to be a prisoner of war who had a vision, and from then on, somehow, he just knew that he would be unharmed and reunited with his family? Sure, I remember. Uh, I think that was when you asked about the difference that it would make to someone who was suffering if, if they thought they were going to heaven. Well, now I get it. It's not that I'm suffering. In fact, I think I have it pretty good. But knowing that I'm going to heaven does radically change the way I see things here in this life. Um, in what ways? I don't think I know all the ways yet. After all, this was just last night. But one is in how I look at money and, and uh, physical possessions. I used to secretly subscribe to the theory that whoever has the most toys at the end wins because <laughs> I thought that this life was all there was. Now that I believe in heaven and that I'll be there someday, it seems that although I still like the toys, in the big view, they don't really mean much. Have you ever heard that saying that you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that means you can't take it with you. More, I don't know about you, but that frees me up a little from the from the rat race. It frees me up to invest more of myself into my family and friends instead of pouring all my energy into making money. Exactly, Bill. Suddenly, I feel like when you take a look at this life from the perspective of the next one, it matters a whole lot more how you treat people than whether or not you have the biggest office. Yeah. Which brings up something I wanted to ask you about. I don't know exactly how to put this, but now I uh, I really want to make a difference. I, I want my life to count. If this is midlife, I, I want the next half, the last half, to have more to it than the first half did. Now that I have a relationship with God and know I'm going to heaven when I die, how do I get that abundant life now, you know, the one that you've been telling me about and that we talked about last time in particular? I guess what I'm asking is, uh, what's next? Where do I go from here? I don't want to waste any more time. Well, Lamar... The only way to get the most out of life is to give your life to God. The way I see it, that's the second most important decision we ever make in life. The second most important decision, the first one being? Well, the first one being the one you just made to accept the gift of forgiveness through Christ. You placed your trust in him and, and in what he did for you on the cross. The second decision also requires trust. You'll never be able to give your life to him unless you trust that he has your best interest in mind. I think this is what I've always been secretly, I don't know, afraid of, resistant to, giving up control. 
But Lamar, if if we won't give up the control to him, then how can he give us the direction and peace he wants to give us? Let me ask you this. Do you think God really loves you? Well, of course. How could I believe that he died for my sins and offered me the opportunity to go to heaven with no strings attached if I didn't believe that he loved me? Well, then, if you believe that he really loves you and made the ultimate sacrifice for you, doesn't it follow that he must want the best for you? Yeah, I I guess it does. Yeah, of course it does. All right. Do you think that God knows what's best for us? Well, uh, yeah, you know, he's God. He knows everything. Sure, God has to know what's best for us. Okay, then. If God loves us and he wants the best for us, on the one hand, and if he knows what's best for us, on the other hand, it seems to me that we'd be fools not to trust him with our lives. Now, that doesn't sound quite so scary, not when you put it that way. But I'm, I'm not sure I understand how this control thing really works. I think I understand the theory, but what does it mean in real life? All right. Think about this, for instance. If my wife and I have a conflict, my tendency is to either get upset and say something I'll later regret or else withdraw and, and not say anything at all, sometimes for hours or, or even for days. I understand. Is this just a theoretical example? <laughs> well, this has probably happened a time or two. It sounds like uh, you've been reading the same uh, strategy book I read. Well, that's what I do when I'm in control. However, what I've learned from reading the Bible is that neither of those responses is how God wants me to react. In one place, the Bible says that we're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but that we're supposed to return a blessing instead. And even though it's very unnatural for me to respond that way, when I allow God to be in control of my life, I end up forgiving instead of harboring resentment and even try to do something kind for her or say something constructive instead of insulting her. Bill, would you do me a favor? Would you not tell Jan about this, please? (laughs) I don't think I can pull that off, and I don't want her expecting any more out of me than she already does. Lamar, the truth is you can't pull it off, and neither can I. Unless I'm consciously committing myself to do God's will and asking his help, I fall flat on my face. The ironic thing is that when I put him in charge and do his will instead of mine— which, again, is the unnatural thing, the results are so much better. Instead of an extended battle and coldness between the two of us, she and I can talk constructively about our feelings, and and we grow closer instead of wasting all that time and energy doing battle. Well, that helps a lot, but there is a problem. Your example hits a little too close to home. (laughs) Well, Lamar, I guess I feel like I don't grow much unless it does hit close to home. In one of the New Testament letters, it says that based on God's incredible mercy, which is, again, what brings us to that point of trust, we're to offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, it says, and allow him to renew our whole way of thinking instead of just being squeezed into the way the world around us thinks. Bill, that business of offering ourselves as a sacrifice, is is that the second most important decision you were talking about? Yep. It sure is. It's the first critical step in experiencing the uh, the abundant life. So do I do that the same way I made the first decision, 
I just talk to God and I tell him something like, okay, here I am, God. What I want you to be is the boss. Well, it's the same idea, a simple heartfelt prayer. But there is one important difference between those two decisions. Really? What's that? Well, with the first decision, the one where you accept Jesus Christ's payment for your sins, you only have to do that once. And then you have eternal life. It's a done deal. But there's a saying about this second decision, this decision to offer our lives as a sacrifice. And the saying is, the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it's always trying to crawl off the altar. (laughs) I think I get it. Uh, I might sincerely offer my life to God, and then a year later I might want to take control back. Could be a year or ten years. For me, too often it's like ten minutes sometimes. The key is to keep remembering that he knows best and to keep seeking his will and, and his direction. But assuming I really do want his will, how do I know what, what his will is? Uh, where does the direction come from? Is that maybe where conscience comes in? Conscience is a, a great help, I think, in, in sensing direction from God. And, and you'll find that your conscience will become more and more sensitive now that you have this eternal relationship with God. But the greatest help comes from reading the Bible. Bill, you may find this hard to believe, but when I read that New Testament book, uh, John, Uh that was the first time I ever really tried reading the Bible. You remember you suggested starting there, and since I was really looking to discover who Jesus was, I actually understood quite a bit, uh, to my surprise. But where would I start? I mean, in other words, where should I go next? Should I start at the very beginning of the Bible? We could start there with the book of Genesis. But I think I'd recommend reading the New Testament first and then going back later for the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament is just as inspired as the New. But you cut to the chase with the New Testament. I believe that the New Testament is what the Old Testament's leading up to. It's it's the conclusion. Well, it's kind of like when Paul Harvey announces at the end of that program of his, now you know the rest of the story. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I've heard Paul a few times. But, Bill... The New Testament is where you go, but where in the New Testament? Well, Mar, there are 27 individual books in the New Testament. I don't think it matters so much where you start, but I believe it'll make a lot more sense if you read one whole book and then another, and instead of just reading random verses, one out of one book and another out of another. You could back up and start with Matthew, the first book, or else just read the book of Acts, which is the next one after the Gospel of John that, that you just finished reading. What's Acts about? Is it about how to cut down trees? <laughs> <laughs> Not A-X-E. It's A-C-T-S, as in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it's about the spread of Christianity throughout the known world in, in the first several decades after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts picks up the story right where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John leave off. And it provides the historical backdrop for the rest of the New Testament. Sounds like some pretty important history that I really don't know much about. Uh, what's, what's the rest of the New Testament like? Well, the rest of the New Testament is primarily a, a series of letters written by the close disciples of Jesus, people like Peter and James, John, and Paul. Uh, some of the letters are written to groups of Christians in, in a certain city, while some are written to individual people like Timothy. Individual people? I mean, what, what would those letters be about, and, and why were they written? Well, all the letters were written to provide encouragement or, or warning 
or further teaching about God, uh, sometimes correction of a, a misunderstanding, sometimes even prediction about the future. And certainly uh, all of them contain directions as to how a Christian should live out his life between here and heaven. Okay, well, that, that seems to help me a lot. It may seem obvious to you, Bill, but those few times I attended Sunday school as a kid or even uh, church as an adult, either they didn't explain it very clearly or my mind was somewhere else. Boy, I've been there. But the good news, Lamar, is that it's never too late to start. I never picked up much as a kid either, and I can't blame anybody else. Uh, I just didn't even know enough to be interested at the time. Well, what changed? I I think two things changed for me. One is that I came to recognize a need in my life, uh, that the Bible might have something to offer. And and I think another thing that brought about the change was somebody showing me a few simple things about how to study the Bible. For one thing, I always try to write or highlight or take notes when I read, either in my Bible or in in a journal book. And I'm amazed at how much more I learn with a pen in hand. You actually write in the Bible? Sure. I have great reverence for the Bible, but the point is not to have an immaculate book that sits on my coffee table, but to learn from it. And I think most people learn more and remember better when they write. But if that bothers you, just take notes on separate paper. Another example of a helpful tip for me was getting a translation I could understand. By the way, what kind of a Bible do you have? Well, it's uh, it's in English, but I don't know much more about it than that. It it has a lot of these and thous in it. I wondered about that. It's probably a, a King James Bible, and that's the kind that I struggled with in, in my early attempts to read the Bible. Well, I have to admit it, it was a bit difficult, but I didn't know there was anything else. Uh, what do you recommend? I don't mean to be critical of that translation. It's just that it was done in the early 1600s, and the English language has changed so much in the last 400 years. Thank goodness. <laughs> if I'm trying to study in a detailed way, I like to use the New American Standard Bible. But if I'm just trying to understand the flow of it, I like to read from the Living Bible because it's, well, it's so smooth and readable. Now, there's another very popular translation that's called the New International, and it's sort of in between the other two. As a matter of fact, um, I'll let you borrow a couple of extras I have so so you can try them out and, and see what you like. Well, that sounds great. I'd, I'd really like that. I'm anxious to get started. You know, I feel like I, I have a lot of catching up to do and, and a lot to learn. Well, you know, Lamar, well, I feel like I've learned a lot about the Bible over the last few years. On the other hand, I feel like I've hardly scratched the surface. It amazes me how deep that book is and, and how I keep gaining new insights, even even when I've read a passage many times before. But the most important thing about the Bible is that it helps me get to know God better and and to feel closer to Him. What do you mean, get to know Him? Well, as I see it, through the Bible, God lets us know what He's really like and, and how He feels about us and how He wants to help us live life. Janet and I went to college about 800 miles apart, and we wrote a lot of letters. I put myself into writing them and and so did she. Well, it seemed to work. <laughs> well, it did, as a matter of fact. It, whenever I got one of those letters, I, I savored every word. And I think that in some way, we, we may have even gotten to know each other better through those letters than periods of time when we were together. In a sense, the Bible is God's love letter to us. He communicates to us through the Bible, and we can communicate to him through prayer. 
Oh, yeah, prayer. (laughs) That's another one of those things I don't know much about. I never have prayed much, uh, not only because of some doubts about whether there was even a God to pray to, but because I never felt like I, I don't know, had the right words. I'm confident about God now, but not about how to speak to him. Simply, honestly, sincerely. You know, Lamar, sometimes I think fancy words and prayers at least are are done more to impress other people than to commune with God. Just just talk to them. Tell them what's on your mind. If you've done something wrong or or did something right with the wrong motivation, admit it to them. Tell them you're sorry. No excuses. Just plain English. If you see a beautiful sunset or a starlit night, tell them how impressed you are with his power and, and with the beauty of his creation. Or if you have a concern or a worry or a request for someone else or for yourself, the Bible says over and over that we should ask because we have a loving Heavenly Father. I always thought it was selfish to ask for something for myself. Like, uh, you know, what right do I have taking up God's time to ask for something for me? (laughs) As a parent, Lamar, do you want your daughter to tell you what's troubling her and to ask you for help or keep her concerns to herself? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I see your point. Of course I want my daughter to come to me with, with everything. You know, I don't always give her everything she asks for, but I do want to talk it over with her and for her to include me in her life. Well, turns out to be a pretty close similarity to how the Bible describes God's feelings for his children. It even says in one place that there are some blessings we don't have simply because we don't ask for them. And by the way, since God stands outside of time, we don't have to worry about overloading his circuits he wants to hear more from us, not less. That makes perfect sense. I, I just really never thought of it that way. That kind of reminds me of a cute story about a little boy who was helping his dad with some chores around their ranch. He was trying to move a huge rock out of the path, and he was grunting and groaning and straining, uh, all to no avail, I might add. His dad was watching him out of the corner of his eye, and, and he finally asked him, he, he said, Son, are you using all your strength Dad, said the boy, can't you see that I am? But you're not, son. You haven't asked me to help. Lamar, I think our our loving Father in heaven is eager to help. We just need to ask. And then, of course, remember to thank him. Please and thank you. Sounds pretty basic. (laughs) It is, but um, I'm sorry to say that sometimes I go all too long without stopping to thank God for, well, frankly, for the great number of blessings and and answers to prayer I do receive. When I do take time to say thanks, it really feels good. It just seems, well, it just seems right. Yeah, I struggle with that too. I, I don't express my gratefulness to other people all too often. I guess I'm guilty of assuming they know, but I shouldn't do that. Well, I'm the same way. Bill, uh, if I could change the subject, there's another thing I wanted to ask you about, and and that's church. You know, I've told you before that I've never gone to church much, mostly because I hated to give up the time, the time to relax, to sleep in, to play golf, or even to work on the lawn. Lamar, I noticed that relaxing and playing golf are, are two separate items on your list. Well, absolutely. That's because, of course, the way I play golf is not very relaxing. <laughs> But actually, it's it's not just that I haven't wanted to take the time to go to church. 
I've always sort of felt like I don't belong there with all my doubts. But now I feel like I have a relationship with God. I'm, I'm ready to make that a part of our family experience. The question is, where? Your church is a good 30 minutes away from us. Uh, do you know of anything closer that would be good? And does it really matter which denomination it is? Well, yes, there are some good churches in your area of town. And, and no, the denomination isn't what's most important. What's important is, is what they believe about the Bible. When C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity, he said in the preface that if you are looking for a book to tell you why you should become a Methodist as opposed to a Catholic or an Episcopalian, this was the wrong book for you. He was simply writing to explain why he came from atheism to believe the main things that all these have in common. Any church that truly accepts the Bible as the final authority on what to believe and how to live will be closer to churches in other denominations with the same high view of the Bible than they will be to churches in their own denomination who have a low view of the Bible's validity and authority. Lamar, I recommend that you find a church with a high view of the Bible and a high view of Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the written Word of God and the living Word of God. Is that the only difference between churches? Well, no, uh, there are more differences than that, but but I think that's what most directly affects the message they put out. I'd rather categorize a lot of the other differences like music or order of service or, or formality of service as a matter of style. The New Testament really has surprisingly little to say about how to do church. It just says that we ought to get together and, and encourage each other to more love and good deeds. But remember this, you'll never find the perfect church. And if you do, stay away from it. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Well, you'll ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Imperfect people like us don't make perfect churches. Besides, Lamar, we don't want to be like the bears at Yellowstone. (laughs) What in the world do Yellowstone bears have to do with us in church? Well, I read once that the, the bears at Yellowstone used to die by the dozens by the side of the road every winter. Any idea why? Well, it's probably not illegal hunters. <laughs> Actually, uh, I do think I heard something about tourists feeding the bears so much that they forgot how to forage for themselves, and they became dependent on the handouts. Exactly. A lot of Christians don't ever bother to feed themselves by studying the Bible on their own. They depend entirely on handouts from a minister or a Bible study leader. And while I've benefited tremendously from what I've learned from others— The thing I value most is that personal time with God where I read his letter to me and and have some intimate personal conversations with him in prayer. Bill, I I really can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate you giving me all these tips about how to continue on this this important journey I've started. I wish we could figure out a way to talk about all this more regularly. Now that so many of my is-it-true type questions have been answered— I feel like I'm now full of uh, how-does-it-work kinds of questions. Well, Lamar, I want you to know I consider it a real privilege to, to share with you really what other people have shared with me. When I first became a Christian, there was a friend that met with me once a week to study the Bible together. He answered a bunch of my questions and really helped me get my feet on the ground. We went through a workbook called Foundations, and that really helped me to get a grasp of, of the basics of getting closer to God. He said it was like deciding to take up tennis and getting a few lessons first. 
And that's what this uh, Foundations is. It's kind of a Bible lesson for beginners. Exactly. I remember him telling me, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. He taught me how to fish. You know, Lamar, it's interesting. Even though that was real basic information that I learned years ago, I still stub my toe when I get too far away from it. It's basic, but it's essential. Okay, I'm sold. When when can we start and where? Well, what do you think about 6.30 next Tuesday morning at that new restaurant on the, on the corner of 3rd and Main? That sounds perfect to me, and I surely do appreciate you taking the time to do this, Bill. Lamar, there's nothing I'd rather do. You're going to understand someday when, when you get a chance to pass on something that's meant so much in your life to somebody else. Well, now that you mentioned passing it on, I'm not exactly sure how to tell Jan about my decision, or even if I should tell her. You see, she's never seemed to struggle with the existence of God like I have, and she's had a lot more church background than I did. But I'm not sure she's ever heard about some of the things we've been discussing, you know, like who Jesus Christ really is and the gift of eternal life. What do you think? Maybe we can talk more about this Tuesday morning since Janet and I have a surprise birthday party tonight we can't be late for. But I'll give you a couple brief ideas. I think first, most important, pray about it. Pray that God will give you the right words and and that she'll be open. And then wait for the right time. But be patient about this and, and don't try to tell her too much all at once. You know, the good part is that she knows you and I have been having these discussions and I've been reading some books like Mere Christianity. And I think she's pretty happy I'm getting some of my questions answered. Well, probably what will create the greatest openness to hearing what you say will be her watching the positive changes in your life. Uh, There's an opening line in a poem I like that goes, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. People definitely need to hear the good news about who Christ is and what he's done. It's just that sometimes they need to see a demonstration of his reality in someone's life before they're really ready to hear that message. That's very helpful, Bill. Uh, We're going out to dinner tonight, you know, just the two of us, and it should be a natural opportunity to to talk to her about it. I appreciate the caution about not trying to say too much, and, and I promise you I will pray about it even between now and then. Hey, I I know you need to get going, and so uh, let me just say to you, friend, thanks for everything. Lamar, what a delight it's been. I'll uh, look forward to seeing you Tuesday morning. I'll look forward to it, too.